Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 20th of September, 2022. This is episode 600 and... I don't know, 17 of Bitcoin and Argentina. First up, bitches, new Bitfarms operation in Argentina slashes costs with natural gas. Who would have guessed Matt DeSilvo did? I guess he's writing it for Decrypt. Let's find out more. Bitcoin mining giant farms. Bitfarms has mired. So let's do it again. Bitcoin mining giant Bitfarms has fired up a new operation in Argentina, claiming a major energy advantage. The company is one of the world's largest mining operators and operates in four countries, but said that the Argentina project is expected to have access to the cheapest of energies. Quote, Based on current foreign currency exchange rates and natural gas prices in Argentina, the cost of the power in Rio Cuarto is expected to be the lowest in Bitfarm's portfolio, creating a significant advantage. Bitfarm COO Goff or Joff or Jeff Morphy told Decrypt. Bitfarm's first announced its new contract in the South American nation last April, and it was launched today. Quote, Argentina holds the second largest shale gas reserves in the world while also offering strong renewable energy potential, Morphe explained. Yeah, a little hat tip to those fucks over there at ESG. Quote, we are uniquely positioned to expand on a global basis and continue to take advantage of the region's low-cost surplus electrical generation capacity, end quote. While the location is also attractive given that Bitfarm's founders live in Argentina, he noted that setting up where energy is abundant is a key corporate strategy. Quote, when we see areas that have excess energy capacity, which would otherwise be wasted, we try and leverage that low cost surplus electrical generation capacity and to contract power for longer terms at attractive rates, which is beneficial to both Bitfarm's and the local energy producers, Murphy added. The new operation is based in Rio Cuarto, Cordoba, and increased Bitfarm's hash rate to 4.1 exahashes per second, up from 3.9, the miner said in a statement. Uh, the Rio Cuarto project, or sorry, Rio Cuarto project, consists of two, not one, but two warehouses. Today's operations turned on the first of two 50 megawatt buildings, according to the announcement. It adds 10 megawatts of capacity, increasing total corporate capacity to 176 megawatts, the company said. Bitfarms added that it expects the site to be complete at the start of the second quarter of next year. The Canadian company uses hydroelectric power to mine Bitcoin at its other sites. Bitcoin mining is the business of using computers to keep the network secure and mint new cryptocurrency. You mean Bitcoin. It uses a lot of energy and is often done on an industrial scale with lots of machines. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't have had to read you that last part. I I honestly think everybody knows this shit by now, but it is what it is. That's the end of the article. Thank you, Matt DeSilvo, for talking about Argentina. And if you have, if you have some time, you might want to look at pictures like just, you know, do a Google, you know, if you're going to do Google, fine, do a Google image search and, you know, Argentina and, and then say Argentina cattle operations. If you didn't know, Argentina probably has the most amount of actual cowboys alive today in any one country. I, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that's an arguable point. What I'm getting at, though, is that Argentina is a lot like Texas. 
There's a lot of cattle ranching. There's a lot of cowboys. There's a lot of roping. There's lots of barbecue. I mean, it's, I, I've thought on many occasions about going down to Argentina. Specifically, I'd kind of like to go to Patagonia, but that is another story for another time. <clears throat> Widespread Bitcoin adoption, digital freedom can only happen through lightning. I'm already disagreeing with this, but Bitcoin Magazine and Paolo Arduino has got some more information on why they think this is the case. Ignore the avalanche of fear, uncertainty and doubt tumbling down from large sections of the popular press. Bitcoin is here to stay. Yeah, it's been declared dead well over 400 times, dude. I mean, of course it's here to stay. <laughs> A recent joint report conducted by Boston consulting group Bidget and Foresight Ventures forecast that the number of crypto users will hit 1 billion by 2030. The report pointed out that the industry is early in its adoption phase with plenty of growth to come. Despite clear signs of substantial market growth for years to come, skeptics still question the effectiveness and sustainability of cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin as a widely accepted means of payment. Specifically, the question of scalability has repeatedly come up as a major obstacle to its widespread adoption. Bitcoin's focus on security and decentralization limits the ability to handle high throughputs of transactions within the network in short periods of time. This fact is often highlighted by its critics suggesting that without the ability to quickly process giant blocks of transaction data, receiving payments for something as small as, God forbid, a cup of coffee will result in fees that exceeds the price of the beverage itself. A la Roger Bear. If Bitcoin is going to live up to its full potential and become a means of payment in an alternative financial system, users must be able to execute transactions quickly and at low cost. This is where the Lightning Network comes into play and why mass adoption of the network is critical to the success of Bitcoin becoming a true option for everyday payments. The Lightning Network, a second layer protocol designed to facilitate micropayment channels at scale, brings Bitcoin back to its original purpose as a peer-to-peer -peer payment network by taking transactions off-chain and enabling them to be completed in mere seconds and at a fraction of the cost. According to data from Bitcoin Visuals, the capacity of the Lightning Network has 4,700.623 Bitcoin in liquidity flowing through the protocol at the time of this writing. With the capacity of the Lightning Network steadily increasing over the past year, even in the face of a bear market, this growth and utilization proves that the technology powering these systems is still all but in its infancy. Bitcoin has already seen rapid growth and adoption, even after, or sorry, even being adopted as legal tender in emerging economies such as, you guessed it, El Salvador and the Central African Republic. The Lightning Network enables brick and mortar shops in these countries to accept Bitcoin as payments for Big Macs or Frappuccinos via mobile devices. The sad fact is, ladies and gentlemen, that the Central African Republic having fucking Big Macs is just, just is sickening. It's sickening. I mean, these people are already starving and you want to feed them food that actually makes them starve further? Whatever, dude. And the widespread embrace of small cryptocurrency transactions for daily goods and services hasn't stopped there. No, no, payment apps such as El Salvador's Chivo Wallet offer low-cost, high-speed transactions and Cash App integrated the Lightning Network in February, making zero-fee Bitcoin payments available for all of its customers. With this widespread adoption, popularity has soared as payment volume on the Lightning Network grew 410% over the past year. Additionally, according to a report from Arcane Research, payments on the Lightning Network were available to over 80 million people in March of this year, compared to only 100,000 people back in August of just 2021. As more cryptocurrency exchanges integrate the Lightning Network into their platforms, the number of people that have access to low-cost, high-speed payments will only continue to grow, making the payments industry ripe for disruption even crypto-skeptical superpowers are taking note as two United States senators introduced legislation this summer to make small crypto transactions tax-free. I think they're talking about uh, the Gillibrand um, uh, Lummis-Gillibrand uh, Lummis bill. But the benefits of Lightning Network go beyond making payments low-cost and high-speed for the daily, daily users on the go. Some companies are even exploring how they can take this tool of financial freedom and apply it to protecting freedom of speech.
True decentralization and financial freedom cannot happen without freedom of speech, communication, and privacy. While the value of payments on the Lightning Network can be seen in its ability to extend access to low-cost, high-speed cryptocurrency transactions to more people, there is another important utility. Arcane Research's report found that 50% of the activity came from peer-to-peer transactions, meaning half of the Lightning Network's activity came from quickly connecting individuals to each other. As companies are utilizing Lightning Network technology, some are exploring it <clears throat> so, uh, some are exploring its use for highly secure and private video conferencing or direct messaging. Much has been written about how big tech can harvest this data of its users and sell it to the highest bidder, making this space also ripe for disruption. By offering viable alternative messaging apps such as Strike, Sphinx, and BitRefill that are easy to use, fast, free, and private, true decentralization can be achieved. With wider utilization of the Lightning Network, questions surround, surrounding Bitcoin's price, viability, and its scalability could be answered promptly. Additionally, as cryptocurrency builders are innovating and coming up with ways to fertile, further utilize this tech, the Lightning Network could very well be the solution to protecting not just financial freedom, but freedom of speech as well. Uh, with the cryptocurrency on track to reach 1 billion users by 2030, the proliferation of the Lightning Network bears watching as more countries and companies make use of its ability to quickly process data at a low cost to the consumer. That's it from uh, Paolo, if that's how you pronounce his name. Sorry, dude, if I'm butchering that, and I'm sure I am. I, I butcher everybody's name on this show. That's the shtick. But I disagree. Why? <clears throat> Not because Bitcoin's layer one is going to be able to scale. It can't. It was never going to be able to scale. You build these things in layers. But saying that it's lightning network as a layer two is the only option for widespread adoption and, and to fix the little red wagon that is low transactional throughput on bitcoin's main chain i think is not giving any credence whatsoever to other groups of people that are trying to design layer two systems that attach to the layer one of bitcoin's base chain that has nothing at all to do with lightning network we need more lightning networks that are built by completely separate teams. I love Lightning Network. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I don't think it's the I don't think it's the brightest. I don't we would not be the brightest bulb on the tree if we were to think that all we need is lightning. No, we need more. I want to see five. I would love to see by by the, the time 2030 rolls around, I want to see five full-blown layer two technologies on top of Bitcoin. Lightning Network being just one of them. I'd almost, almost, almost like to see Podcasting 2.0 completely divorce itself from Lightning Network at some time way in the future because it's leveraging a completely different internally built by the Podcasting 2.0 community layer two network on top of Bitcoin. I would have no problem if it worked. I'm just, you know, if it's a piece of garbage, I don't want to use it. But if it works and works well, hell yes. I would love to see that. I'd love to see a whole video thing build their own layer two and attach it to the Bitcoin network. Because the more layer twos we wrap around the central core of layer one, the more armoring we're giving Bitcoin itself as the protocol. And I think armor is important. Decoys are also important. That's why I don't hate uh, ICOs and shit coins as much as I used to, because I'm, I'm seeing them as the decoys that they are. But uh, we'll talk about that shit on another day. Micah strategy. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to admit it. I got roasted to death on Twitter because like a dumbass, I didn't check my freaking source before I retweeted some asshole. <laughs> that changed his profile pic in his Twitter bio to uh, Michael Saylor's profile pic and announced that they had bought $500 million worth of Bitcoin. And I just fucking retweeted it without even looking at it. I am human, okay? Thankfully, somebody automatically pointed it out and said, dude, did, did you even look at the name? And I'm like, oh God, 
But you got to own up to your mistakes. Why? Because when you make mistakes, other people are like, oh, thank God I'm not the only one. And it's, and at that point, it's okay to start saying, fuck, I made a mistake. And, and we all start trying to be more careful, but it doesn't matter how careful you are. We are always going to screw up like that. But this time it appears that MicroStrategy has indeed bought Bitcoin, but instead of $500 million worth, they only bought 6 million. So we're gonna figure out exactly what happened. Nomsios, Bitcoin Magazine, MicroStrategy has acquired a fresh batch of Bitcoin despite the ongoing market route. The software company led by Bitcoin bull, Michael Saylor, added 301 BTC to its holdings in a purchase that cost about $6 million, according to a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission filing. The buy is the latest in a series of acquisitions that have lasted over two years. MicroStrategy acquired Bitcoin all the way up to the digital currency's new highs in 2021, only to see it drop starkly this year. However, the market plunge hasn't discouraged the firm, which in the first nine months of this year, bought over 5,000 Bitcoin. Saylor, who became famous in the Bitcoin community after embarking on the BTC accumulation strategy back in 2020, has since stepped down from its CEO role. Now, the MIT graduate occupies the executive chairman position, which he says allows him to focus more on the Bitcoin-related aspects of the business. While many publications rumored this transition was rel related to Bitcoin's price dump and consequently a huge unrealized loss for MicroStrategy's holdings, Saylor has claimed that that was not the reason. MicroStrategy's latest modest allocation compared to its previous buys notably leads the firm's Bitcoin holdings to an exact number, 130,000 Bitcoin even. Bought for nearly $4 billion, the coins huddled by Sailor's companies are now worth only $2.47 billion, an unrealized loss of over $1.5 billion. Holy shit. The short-term depreciation doesn't seem to phase the executive, however, who've claimed that the company's investment eyes long-term results. Bitcoin prices have stayed flat throughout the summer following the collapse of the Terra ecosystem that pushed the peer-to-peer -peer digital money's dollar value below highs set in 2017's bull market. The cryptocurrency, or sorry, the currency was quick to regain 20,000, but that level has proven difficult to hold. Bitcoin was indeed exchanging hands at around $19,100 at press time. Bitcoin prices future remains hard to predict as investors prepare for Wednesday's Federal Open Markets Committee or the FOMAC meeting. The market expects the committee to announce an outsized hike in U.S. interest rates following the above expectations uh, consumer prices index print for August. While Bitcoin provides an alternative system to central banking, the currency has failed to decouple from risk assets as institutional investors who piled into BTC since 2020 weigh investment decisions and allocations based on the overall loosening and tightening of economies around the globe. Yeah, we're, we're, we're coupled. We're firmly coupled right now, but we've been firmly coupled before and for relatively shorter periods of time, we've been completely uncoupled. If you've been here as long as I've been here, you've seen, you've seen it all. It's just the psychology of the, the mass amount of humans with investment potential. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing psychology at work. And when you look at charts, you're seeing mass psychology. It's not logic. It's not math. Math goes into it, obviously, but it's not based around math. It's math isn't making the decisions in the market because the market has completely come unglued, right? What you've been seeing for the last I don't know, since those idiots, you know, put planes into the World Trade Center, what you've been seeing is a mass market delusion and you can trace its pattern by the charts. I firmly believe that when I look at a chart of any stock price or bond market or anything, commodities prices, what I'm seeing is less of logical decision-making and more of, oh my God, we're all gonna die I'm coming from a place of fear and loathing or, oh my God, everything is so great. I'm coming from a place of complete and total 
you know, let's go get them. Let's grill them and kill them, you know, and all that kind of shit, right? So when you look at a chart, try to see the psychology, not the logic. That's what I'm going to say about that one. Now, $160 million has been stolen from market maker Wintermute. Cointelegraph's Joseph Hall tells us about yet another DeFi hack. Wintermute, a cryptocurrency market maker based in the UK, became the latest victim of decentralized finance hacks, losing approximately $160 million, according to Evgenov, the company's founder and CEO. According to Etherscan, over 70 different tokens have been transferred to Wintermute Exploiter, including uh, 61,350,000 in USD coin, 671 wrapped Bitcoin, which is roughly $13 million, and 29.5 million Tether, the largest token sum appears to be USDC, which is having its own problems. Yeah, I, I talked about that shit yesterday. Go back to yesterday's show and find out all about USDC. Anyway, the company's over-the-counter and centralized finance operations were not affected as the hackers drained funds from its DeFi operations. Gavovny stated that the market maker is solvent with twice the stolen amount and equity left. Yay! Stressing that users' funds are, of course, Safu. Of course, he spells it safe. Wintermute is an algorithmic market maker working with digital assets such as cryptocurrencies. The group is a registered company in the UK located in Cheshire and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. According to Companies House, Evenji Gigeldov is director with more than 25%, but not more than 50% shares of that company. According to Ajay Dinga, head of research and analytics at Smart Exchange Unison, quote, the nature of the exploit suggests that Wintermute's hot wallet was compromised. The attacker cleverly manipulated the bug in the smart contract. Quote, the incident again, uh, the incident again brings focus on tightening the screws around smart contract security, which is an uncharted territory as of now. Okay. End quote. Hold on. Let's just, that's the only way any of these DeFi things have ever been hacked is because they're built on these smart contracts that nobody really audits. And if they do, they're auditing them wrong. Do I know how to audit them? No, I don't. But clearly there are massive holes in this thing. It's probably a lone exploitation attack. I don't know. But continuing on in the short tweet, Thread, Gvovny, a Dutch national, suggested that the hack could be treated as a white hat hack. <laughs> Bullshit. The perpetrator may contact Wintermute to share the vulnerabilities they discovered to avoid repeat hacks in the future. White hacks are common in crypto exchanges, market makers, and sometimes companies reward hackers bounties in the form of cash or job positions. As the Ether address of the Wintermute exploiter is public, the address has been spanned by crypto enthusiasts, stating messages like, Please give. I'm very poor. Even 5K would be amazing. Cointelegraph has reached out to Wintermute for a response and will update when possible. So yet another DeFi hack. Who would have guessed? This shit's going to continue. It always has. It always will. Now, your friend Gary Gensler has made a, a, a statement here. Uh, kind of. We'll, we'll find out more from Sander Lutz, uh, decrypt.co. The SEC claims all of Ethereum falls under United States jurisdiction. If you didn't catch that, that's going to be important for the rest of the article. The Securities and Exchange Commission has claimed that all of Ethereum falls under the United States jurisdiction. Let that sink in. When the SEC filed a federal lawsuit Monday against crypto influencer Ian Bellina for his failure to register a cryptocurrency as a security before launching a 2018 initial coin offering, everything at first appeared run-of-the-mill. The SEC has, for years, filed civil suits against individuals and organizations for rolling out unregistered ICOs. Eagle-eyed observers then read a little further into the fine print in a bold and potentially unprecedented move buried in the lawsuit's 
69th paragraph. <laughs> the SEC today claimed it had the right to sue Bellina, not only because his case concerns transactions made in the United States, but also because essentially the entire Ethereum network falls under the United States government's purview. In its complaint, the regulator noted that the ETH sent to Bellina was validated by a network of nodes on the Ethereum blockchain, which are clustered more densely in the United States than in any other country. As a result, those transactions took place inside the United States, the SEC concluded. The SEC appears to be suggesting that because more of Ethereum's validating nodes currently operate in the United States than in any other country, all Ethereum transactions globally should be considered of American origin. Let's read that again. The SEC appears to be suggesting that because more of Ethereum's validating nodes currently operate in the United States than in any other country, all Ethereum transactions globally will be considered of American origin. Currently, 45.85% of all Ethereum nodes operate from the United States, according to Etherscan. The second greatest density of nodes is in Germany with only 19% by comparison. Quote, saying that enables the SEC to characterize doing business on the Ethereum blockchain as doing business on a U.S. securities exchange, which from their regulatory perspective is convenient, it makes things so much simpler, University of Kentucky law professor Brian Fire told Decrypt. If the SEC were to successfully classify activity on Ethereum as akin to that on an American securities exchange, it would amount to the regulatory body laying claim to jurisdiction over all activity on the ostensibly decentralized Ethereum network, which is not decentralized at all, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, such a development would constitute a major escalation in the SEC's role in overseeing both Ethereum specifically, where the vast majority of NFT and DeFi activity takes place, and crypto as a whole. Friar, or Fi sorry, Fire noted that the language of today's complaint bears no legal weight, and due to the nature of the SEC's suit against Bolina, the court in this case is unlikely to weigh in on this specific issue, but that doesn't mean the statement holds no significance. Quote, I think they may be trying to get their vision of what Ethereum is and how it works out into the judicial ecosystem, Fire told Decrypt. Quote, it's the SEC saying this entire body of financial activity is within the scope of the stuff that we regulate and therefore we're going to regulate all of it, end quote. Fire considers such a full-throated claim to jurisdiction over the entire Ethereum ecosystem to be unprecedented. Quote, it's the first time I've seen the SEC really lay out how it understands the Ethereum ecosystem to work and why it thinks it falls within the scope of what the SEC regulates, he said. Last week, in the hours following Ethereum's successful merge to a proof-of-stake consensus mechanism, SEC Chair Gary Gensler implied that the transition could bring the network closer to the definition of a security in the government's eyes. Following testimony before the Senate Banking Committee, Gensler gave his view on how staking, i.e. pledging assets to a crypto network in exchange for passive rewards, could be interpreted as an indication that an asset qualifies as a security under the so-called Howey test, though he did not address any specific cryptocurrency or network by name. Fire thinks the proximity of the statement to, today, to today's is no incident. Quote, Today's language seems perfectly consistent with what Gensler was getting at in his statement, that the SEC sees all of this as securities and therefore is going to make regulatory decisions in relation to the entire ecosystem, Fire said. Under Gensler, the SEC has yet to take an official stance on Ethereum despite leadership within the commission under the previous administration suggesting that Ethereum was sufficiently decentralized and therefore not a security. But if the SEC were to ever claim that Ethereum was an unregistered security, fire doubts the courts would stand in the way. Quote, I can see judges absolutely accepting that. Sure, Ethereum is substantially located in the United States insofar as it's run on a bunch of computers and a bunch of those computers are in the United States. That's events occurring in the United States. No problem, said fire. So there you go. Um, if you're holding Ethereum, 
I would get rid of it. But if you've staked it, you can't. Not for six or 12 months because they haven't even written the code to get it out. That shit's on purpose. But secondarily to all of that, this is why it's very important that we do not concentrate Bitcoin mining in any one country, much less the United States. But you don't want it. You don't want uh, the majority of Bitcoin mining in Argentina. You don't want it in Australia or Canada or New Zealand or Tasmania or Central African Republic or God forbid, Brazil, right? You want it spread out. And if we don't work on spreading it out, if we continuously raw, raw Texas gobbling up all of the Bitcoin mining, then we are doing ourselves and Bitcoin a disservice. And we're also doing each other a disservice. If you want to make a phone call, you might want to call the governor of Texas and say, look, I'm not poo-pooing on what it is that we're trying to do here. But if we do too much of that, it's going to soil the bed that we sleep in. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com, futures and commodities, oil taking it on the chin today. Uh, 2.5% of the downside for West Texas Intermediate coming in at $83.55. Brent North Sea holding the $90 peg after a 2% price decline. Natural gas is the only thing that's up uh, by one and a quarter, in fact, to $7.85 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down just over a point to $2.43 a gallon. All shiny metal rocks are down today, including gold, down one-third of a point to $1,671. Silver, likewise, down 0.87% to, oh, God, it's under 20 bucks an ounce. Platinum is the only winner today, 0.4 to the upside. Copper is down 0.3, and palladium getting kicked in the nutsack, 2.73% to the downside. All agricultural futures are up, and by God, are they up big. Wheat up well over 6% points. Soybeans up one and a half. Corn up 1.84. God, sugar is up 2.6. Coffee is up almost two points. The only loser or real loser today is cotton down 2.16%. Let's see, what do we got? What what do we got? Oh, uh, Dow down 1.11. S&P down 1.13%, NASDAQ down 0.66%, and S&P mini rounding it out down 1.59%. Bitcoin not having much of a better day, 19,132 bucks after 3.8 million BTC traded hands over the last 24 hours. Uh, We have an average transaction value of 14.4 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.026 BTC, or just under 500 bucks. Block times are nailed exactly at 10 minutes. 10 minutes, zero seconds, in fact. 0.1 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 14 and a quarter BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. And with an 8.35% decline in hash rate, we're back down to just under 220 exahashes per second. Dogecoin not recovering from its slide past six United States pennies yesterday. It is at 5.9 United States pennies today. And that is your shit coin indicator. We have, ooh, good God, 9,000 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a $365.6 billion market cap, which is three and a third percent of gold's entire market cap. And you can get 11.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,155,817 and 4,794. Those are in the Lightning Network valued at $91.5 million, uh, being run over 17,206 nodes, sporting 84,995 payment channels. And 69.5% of all that is being run over tour. And that's going to do it for, <coughs> for, sorry, for, for vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use Colorado 
becomes the first United States state to accept Bitcoin as payment for taxes. Namcios, I'm not really sure if that's true. I think we've had Ohio do it and then they turned it off. So technically, Colorado's not, at least I think. If I'm wrong about that, uh, please, please do me a boostagram. And uh, I will do boostograms at the end of the show today. So don't, don't, don't worry about it. If you, if you gave me a boostagram, I'm going to read it. <clears throat> uh, but this is from Bitcoin Magazine. Colorado has become the first U.S. state state or United States state to accept Bitcoin for tax payments. Governor Jared Paulus announced the implementation of the new payment method on Monday at Denver Startup Week, according to a report by Axios Denver. Citizens can use cryptocurrency to pay individual income tax, business income tax, sales and use tax, withholding tax, severance tax, and excise fuel taxes are all eligible per the report. The state government's Department of Revenue now lists cryptocurrency as a payment method among the more well-established debit and credit cards, ACH, debit and credit, and cash. However, users interested in partaking or parting with their Bitcoin holdings to pay Colorado state taxes need to use a PayPal account. Quote, only PayPal personal accounts can pay using cryptocurrency. Colorado's Department of Revenue details adding that the user needs to have the entire value of their invoice in a single cryptocurrency in their PayPal cryptocurrencies hub. Jesus, why even do this at this point? Citizens paying their taxes with cryptocurrency will be charged an additional $1 plus 1.83% of the payment amount in fees. U.S. states have raced for the trophy of the most cryptocurrency-friendly jurisdiction as they seek to attract workers and businesses of the new remote-first economy. However, it is hard to make the case for paying taxes with Bitcoin, especially in Colorado's fixed arrangement with PayPal. While the user would likely forego future capital appreciation for the Bitcoin price by doing so, that buying power wouldn't be transferred to Colorado as the state doesn't seek to hold BTC or cryptocurrency on its balance sheet. What does this mean? Is He wants votes. Governor Jared Polis wants to look like he is a Bitcoiner. He's not. He wants to be reelected. And we've, we're just being bamboozled. That's what this is. It's just bamboozlement. I mean, PayPal? Really? Okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one because God forbid that you guys should, you know, I don't know, retask one of your revenue guys to learn how this shit actually works. I mean, it's, you know, there's plenty of resources, Governor Paulus, it, it happens. You know, it's not like I knew how to do this shit coming out of, you know, when I was born, right? No, I had to learn it like everybody else. You can too. You don't have to depend on PayPal, but be that as it may. The second thing is don't ever part with your, your Bitcoin, not to pay state taxes. Taxation is theft and we all know it. But if you're thinking that Colorado is going to actually be some kind of, you know, safe haven for Bitcoin, you're wrong. And everything about this story should tell you exactly why. I mean, you have to have it all in one cryptocurrency. Uh, they're not going to hold anything on their balance sheet. It's just going to automatically be converted to cash. So you're putting downward price pressure on the Bitcoin price. So you're just kind of fucking yourself in the ass on the other side. If you want to hedge yourself the wrong way, this is the way to do it. So don't, don't, don't pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Give them their shitty money first and hold Bitcoin for later. Maybe for insurance. But honestly, I got a, I got a bad feeling in my stomach about this one. Rachel Wolfson brings it to us from Cointelegraph. Crypto insurance market expands with decentralized and centralized options. Insurance is key for financially securing important assets. Yet, the cryptocurrency sector, which is predicted to reach a global market size by $4.94 billion in 2030, may be lagging behind when it comes to insuring said digital assets. For instance, it's been noted that less than 1% of all crypto investments are currently insured. This statistic is alarming considering the rapid growth and high-risk profile associated with today's cryptocurrency markets. 
Ben Davis, team lead for digital assets at Superscript, a British startup and Lloyd's of London licensed insurance broker, told Cointelegraph that the crypto or that crypto has been marginalized when it comes to insurance solutions. Quote, Superscript has spent years focusing on insurance for emerging tech fields. I lead a team that focuses specifically on crypto and never in my career have I seen an industry more marginalized, he said. Although the cryptocurrency sector is advancing, Davis believes that it continues to lack insurance solutions due to the industry's strong financial focus. And he said, quote, Crypto is tackling something very fundamental, which is money. But as a society, we tend to shy away from this topic. When a technology sector focuses on hard questions relating to value and exchanging money, insurance underwriters tend to move away from this conversation, end quote. Although this may be, the need for insurance solutions within the cryptocurrency is becoming more important than ever before. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, if, if, if you feel it in your stomach right now, we'll, we'll get to it. In order to fill this gap, Davis explained that Superscript is taking a centralized approach to bridge the divide between traditional insurance providers and crypto companies. Well, we translate the risks associated with digital assets to the broader insurance community. Everyone on our team holds and interacts with crypto, so we speak the language, he, said, he commented. As a Lloyd's broker, Davis elaborated that the firm has experience getting customers in front of multiple insurance companies. As such, the firm has a centralized finance approach by presenting crypto companies to insurance providers suitable for their needs. Quote, we work with many non-fungible token organizations or crypto companies partnering with big names in entertainment to help secure contracts with traditional insurance firms. We provide insurance for the full spectrum of digital asset businesses, including tokenization platforms, miners, custodians, blockchain developers, and more, he shared. Regarding the process involved, Davis explained that Superscript helps educate insurers about risk concerns related to cryptocurrency to ensure that they can work with digital asset companies. Like most traditional insurance providers, Davis points out that insurers working with crypto will take premiums in fiat currency rather than in crypto. Quote, we are currently looking at ways to innovate by making this process more seamless for our clients, Davis added. Mm-hmm, I'll bet. While Superscript aims to bridge the gap between traditional insurers and crypto companies, a number of Decentralized finance insurance solutions have also come to fruition. Dan Thompson, chief marketing officer at insureace.io, a decentralized finance risk protection protocol, told Cointelegraph that although crypto insurance is broad, it fundamentally means that crypto users are protected against certain risks and catastrophic losses to their portfolios. I, you feel it, don't you? You can feel it. I know I, you're out there right now, and even though none of you have actually heard this yet because I haven't uploaded it, I can feel your tension building. It is a financial insurance tool emerging in the wake of a multi-trillion dollar market, he said. Given this, Thompson explained that InsureAce aims to solve the intrinsic risks associated with DeFi protocols. In order to do so, Thompson mentioned that InsureAce works by allocating state capital in its protocol as insurance capacity. <laughs> DeFi users are then able to buy this capacity to cover their investments in staked assets in various protocols. In the event of an exploit, oh, this is a quote, in the event of an exploit, for example, customers can claim via the InsureAce app, the decentralized organization or DAO will then vote on the legitimacy of these claims. <laughs> Fucking hey, dude. Although this process differs from traditional insurance solutions, it has proven to be effective. According to Thompson, InsureAce's largest payout occurred when the Terra ecosystem collapsed in May of 2022. Quote, we received 180 claims in total. InsureAce paid out 11.7 million to 155 affected Terra USD classic victims, he said. Some 8% of InsureAce's USTC payout was made in stable coins, while 60% consisted of layer one tokens, and the remaining 4% was paid in the platform's Insure token. Oh God, it gets so bad. According to Thompson, this process took one month to complete, which is typically faster than payouts processed by traditional insurance firms. 
Given the decentralized nature of the crypto sector, it shouldn't come as a, a surprise that other projects are focusing on DeFi insurance. Adam Hoffman, founder and CEO of decentralized insurance protocol Nimble, told Cointelegraph that digital assets must be backed by insurance in order for the crypto sector to advance. After spending 22 years in the traditional insurance sector, Hoffman founded his firm in June 2021 with the goal of creating a more democratized insurance process. Yeah, sure, right. Hoffman explained that Nimble applies traditional insurance concepts to decentralized finance. For instance, the platform is built on the Algorand blockchain and works to ensure DeFi projects powered by Algorand. But like traditional insurance providers, Hoffman explained that Nimble consists of underwriters, claim assessors, and loss adjusters, all of which are pulled together to help facilitate risk pools. Quote, a risk pool is like a liquidity pool, but this involves retail and institutional investors allocating money to subsidize the risks on insurance. This creates a more democratized insurance process, he remarked. Hoffman added that Nimble works directly with customers to gather important information necessary for underwriting. This data is then released into the Nimble portal, allowing users to purchase insurance for certain DeFi platforms. Quote, if users stake an amount of crypto on a platform we support, then they can purchase the insurance for a rate. You see how bad this is getting already? This premium goes into the risk pool for that project and customers receive a non-fungible token in their crypto wallet representing that insurance policy, he explained. In the event of a DeFi hack, Hoffman mentioned that customers will be notified immediately and receive payouts in crypto directly to their wallets upon community and smart contract approval. Indeed, democratization seems to be a common theme among crypto insurance providers. For example, Nexus Mutual is a discretionary mutual currently covering millions of dollars in Ether for various DeFi projects. Hugh Carp, the firm's founder, told Cointelegraph that the platform is an automated version of a very old structure where members share risks together. Quote, the primary problem Nexus solves is the sharing of new and novel risks in the cryptocurrency space where coverage isn't available in normal markets. According to CARP, Nexus does this by allowing members to decide how risks should be priced along with how claim payments should be made. While this approach may be a good fit for the crypto industry, CARP noted that building trust with customers to ensure that genuine claims will be paid remains a challenge. Quote, this can only be achieved with time and a track record. It also, it's also challenging to price risks appropriately. And we've seen some other crypto insurance platforms have trouble with this recently with the Terra collapse. While some members of the cryptocurrency ecosystem view centralized approaches to ensuring digital assets as harmful, mm -hmm, it's evident that both CeFi and DeFi solutions are needed. Quote, traditional CeFi insurers often get a bad rep. But this year alone, I've seen more traditional insurers enter the crypto space than I've seen in the last five years of my career, said Davis. This has become the case, especially as more institutional investors enter the digital asset sector. Quote, many of the companies we insure need to have financial backing from traditional insurance providers that are regulated, Davis remarked. This notion is also starting to resonate with DeFi providers. For instance, Hoffman mentioned that Nimble is able to is in the process of obtaining an insurance license through the Bermuda monetary authority in order to ensure both DeFi and traditional insurance capital protection. In the meantime, Hoffman believes it's important that the Algorand Foundation is backing Nimble by providing a certification of the platform for users. Even with certifications and cred, insuring crypto assets remains a tricky business. For example, a number of cryptocurrency exchanges have been under fire recently for making false claims of being insured. Last month, the leading cryptocurrency exchange FTX received a letter from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation accusing the exchange of falsely implying that their user funds were FDIC insured. Moreover, Celsius, the cryptocurrency lending platform that recently went bankrupt, is facing a lawsuit based on forged claims that users' digital assets were insured. Quote, the challenge of the insurance industry is that it can be confusing. People, along with organizations, sometimes don't know what they're actually covered for, said Davis. Due to this, Davis believes that trust within an organization or an entire industry can be easily eroded 
And to ensure smooth development moving forward, industry experts agree that more education is needed. For Davis, this starts with educating traditional insurance brokers on how to handle crypto claims. DeFi-focused solutions, on the other hand, must focus on helping investors understand what is covered from the start. Quo, for instance, market volatility can create confusion. InsureAce also doesn't KYC customers, yet a protocol listed that their insurance that their assets are insured through us on their website. When the Terra incident happened, customers were unclear about their coverage, said Thompson. Given this complexity, Thompson believes that the vast majority of insurance coverage will be provided by crypto native solutions. Quote, the risks are novel and require deep specialist knowledge, which our members have. Some traditional providers have started dipping their toe in the space, but I suspect they will have a few false starts and progress will take quite some time. Yes, I realized that was a long one, but what, what did we just read? We read the outline of what's going to crash the next Bitcoin bull market. Why do I say that? Okay, we started by loaning out Bitcoin or not loaning out Bitcoin, using Bitcoin as collateral for loans. We started doing this around, uh, you know, it's really kind of came into vogue after 2017. And then markets would snap back, we'd loot, get a loss and, you know, you leverage your Bitcoin and you got 80% of the Bitcoin's value at the time, but now it dropped below 50% of the value and guess what? Essentially margin call, you've got, they've got to liquidate your Bitcoin to be able to make sure that they've got enough collateral and then you've got to pony up some more. All right, so that was phase one of, get, of how to fall into a stupid trap. That was the first step, is getting used to loaning out your Bitcoin. Don't do it, and you won't have to worry about any of the rest of the shit I'm about to say. Stage fucking two was institutions doing the same shit with massive amounts of leverage and large amounts of money. And what happened? Terra Luna fucking collapsed and it took down everybody. Everybody got burned. BlockFi got burned. FTX getting burned, although they're going to be able to survive because they have so much cash. But you get my drift. Now we, we're going to put, we're going to wrap all of that stupid into a nice little plastic bubble and call it insurance. And that very same insurance, I guarantee you, is going to be a leveraged loan against the actual thing they're insuring themselves against in the first fucking place. So when it collapses again, not only will the leverage positions get completely wiped out, but before the insurance companies can pay out on that shit, they got wiped out too. You see how this works? They're, all they're doing is they're adding a whole other layer of leverage. And when that thing collapses, it's going to make the Terra Luna collapse look like a cakewalk. I guarantee that that's going to happen. But let's move on. If, if I'm wrong and it doesn't happen like in four, five, six years, feel free to lambast my ass on Twitter, but that shit's going to fucking happen. Insurance companies are going to be leveraged against the very thing that gets liquidated and they won't be able to pay out their claims and they'll go bankrupt as well as all the people that thought they had insurance. That's what that means. Now, Congress demands crypto payments notification from the State Department when helping Ukraine. Arjit Sarkar with this one, Cointelegraph. A new bill demanding a congressional notification prior to payments of United States Department of State rewards using cryptocurrencies has surfaced as Congress raises concerns about the evasion of sanctions. The Rewards for Justice program, a counterterrorism reward program run by the Secretary of State, offers rewards for information that prevents international terrorism. Citing examples of Russia and Belarus as previously sanctioned regimes that have used cryptocurrencies to circumvent sanctions, the bill, H.R. 7338, demands that, quote, the Secretary of State shall notify the appropriate congressional committees not later than 15 days before paying out a reward in cryptocurrency. Just pausing here to make a statement, I was not aware that the United States government was using cryptocurrency. Were you? 
I've never heard of this shit before. That's sort of the bigger story here, but I digress. Congress highlighted the United Nations findings that 20 million Ukrainian residents would need humanitarian assistance and the cryptocurrencies have been used as an effective cross-border payment tool to send millions to the Ukrainian government, Ukrainian army, and Ukrainian refugees with limited access to financial services, end quote. The bill amendment demands the Secretary of State submit reports to congressional committees explaining why the State Department made the decision to pay out rewards in cryptocurrency. If signed into law, the bill will require the State Department to list each crypto payment that were previously provided. Moreover, the Federal Department will also need to provide evidence as to why cryptocurrency payments would encourage whistleblowers to share intel when compared to rewarding with U.S. dollars or other prizes. Uh, in doing so, the State Department must showcase an analysis of how crypto rewards could undermine the dollar's dominance as the global reserve currency. Following U.S. President Joe Biden's executive order on ensuring responsible development of digital assets, Federal agencies joined hands in publishing a fact sheet to articulate a clear framework for responsible digital asset development as well as singing fucking kumbaya. The first ever fact sheet published by the White House consisted of seven sanctions, namely... One, protecting consumers, investors, and businesses. Two, promoting access to safe, affordable financial services. Three, fostering financial stability. Four, advancing responsible innovation. Five, reinforcing our global financial leadership and competitiveness. Six, fighting illicit finance. And finally, seven, exploring a U.S. central bank digital currency. While some of the sanctions didn't contain any particularly new information, federal agencies recommended the creation of a federal framework for non-bank payment providers, in addition to encouraging the adoption of instant payment systems like FedNow, which is expected to launch in 2023. So the United States is now using cryptocurrencies to do money laundering. So instead of carting crates and crates and crates of freshly minted $100 bills to places like Iraq and God only knows the 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 Coganistas or whatever they were called down in Central and Latin, you know, in Latin America when we were you know, when Reagan was president. Now now we're just going to pay him in fucking cryptocurrency. Maybe they'll use ether. Who knows? I don't give a shit anymore. This whole place is just a clown show waiting to catch on fire. Now, NASDAQ, <clears throat> speaking of catching on fire, uh, NASDAQ is, uh, let's see, NASDAQ to launch institutional Bitcoin and crypto custody services, says a report. Interesting. Bitcoin magazine. Who's writing it? None other than Homsios. The NASDAQ U.S. stock exchange is eyeing a push into institutional custody services for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. The move would mark a new chapter for the company that has so far chosen to not compete in a market currently dominated by the likes of Coinbase, BitGo, and Gemini. Instead, the exchange has serviced these institutions with offerings such as trading and market surveillance technologies. In 2021, the exchange launched a digital asset curriculum for financial advisors in a partnership with the asset manager Hashdex. The course sought to provide informative and educational resources for financial advisors. More recently, the NASDAQ partnered with Brazil's largest brokerage firm, XP, for the launch of a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency exchange in the South American country. NASDAQ's new institutional custody offering is pending regulatory approval, a source with knowledge of the plans told the block. So now the NASDAQ is, is getting into it. And of course, Bloomberg says that Bitcoin is dead. Yeah, okay, whatever. And finally, Alameda to repay $200 million in Bitcoin and Ethereum to bankrupt crypto broker Voyager. You know, I think we don't need to get into the details of that one because that's all bullshit. But apparently these guys, uh, uh, Voyager is holding out their hands and saying, please, sir, may we have our money back that we lend you? And FTX is like, yeah, sure. We'll give you $200 million back. Why? Because FTX can afford it. And that's who Alameda is part of. They can definitely float the $200 million. And it's just part of their, it's just part of their bailout of the uh, collapse after the Terra or Terra Luna ecosystem bullshit. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup.
boost boosts boostograms here letter 6173 with a p with a striper boost 7777 sats i hope everyone is prepping for what comes next <coughs> agreed and i'm kind of in a bad situation because i'm in a rental house right now um and that does not bode well uh for well for a lot of stuff but certainly not for you know getting a you know a small honda electric generator a couple of deep freezes. I mean, I kind of put myself in a bad position, but you know, life, life has to happen. You can't just continuously not engage in life and, and try to move forward. But my timing is pretty much the worst timing any human has ever had in the history of humanity. So uh, wish me luck. Mm, uh, F dub seven, 200 sats, no, no notes. I got no more notes, but uh, let's see. I'll re read you guys out. Chris Hartzell, 16, 100 sats. User, a bunch of numbers, which is literally a bunch of different numbers. 50 sats. Uh, he does it again with another 50 sats. Armor, uh, 33 sats. And Didi Brezhnen, uh, uh, sorry, Brezhnen. Brezhnen? Brez, 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 D, D to Brezhnen, five sats. Man, that was an exp that was expensive. Um, I'm just kidding, guys. Uh, I I love the boostograms. Keep them coming. I miss you, Pitar. I I I miss your boosts, and not because you always give a lot of sats. I just kind of miss you. You're one of the people that actually write stuff down, and kind of miss that today. Not going to do a joke. So I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin, and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.